0: Hello and welcome to In The Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, and I'll be joined shortly by my co-host, Randall Jacobs. If you're new to the podcast, In The Dirt is a discussion about how gravel cycling fits into our lives, new product releases, and various things that are going on in the gravel cycling industry. In alternative weeks, I do long form interviews with athletes, product designers, and event organizers. The podcast is supported by a small select group of sponsors, as well as by listeners like you. Simply visit buymeacoffee.com slash ride to contribute. With that, let's jump right in. Hey, Randall, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well, Craig. How are you?
0: I feel very empowered. I successfully didn't say welcome, Randall, to the podcast.
1: <laughs> Congratulations.
0: So That is good. I am, I am in general feeling quite good. I have to say like things are starting to slip back to normal from a riding perspective and I didn't know it at the time and maybe couldn't have predicted it, but there's just a a sort of a lightness in my communication with people. For example, I was riding up Mount Tam on Saturday and just happened upon someone riding about the same pace. And we just spoke, we just spoke like you would 18 months ago. Great conversation wasn't really thinking once or twice whether the sky has COVID and I'm going to get infected or anything like that. So it's just this levity that I really just it was palpable for me on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I can definitely feel that as well. And just, you know, as long as you ask the question of, you know, are you vaccinated? Like, And, and you have that like two to three week window from the first shot, the likelihood of transmission between two vaccinated people is pretty infinitesimal, especially in an outdoor environment. So Big group settings, yeah, sure, extra cautions, but it does seem that the the guidance is increasingly leaning towards feeling entirely safe, rolling up next to somebody who's friendly and you can trust to be honest with you, and that's a a huge weight lifted after these very heavy you know few months.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and to boot, the conversation was super cool. The gentleman's involved in World Bicycle Relief as a charity. Uh, the, I won't profess to know a ton about it yet. I've seen it before and seen a bunch of fundraisers over the years and they're providing utility bikes across Africa and really changing lives Mm -hmm. over there. So it was just great to make that connection and circle back and meet some more members of the team after the fact and potentially even have them on the pod.
1: I feel like Marin is one of those places where you can bump into such people. Uh, The other ones being like Boulder and Bentonville and, and some of the Boston area.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how are you doing? You are in the midst of a huge transition this week.
1: Very big transition. So I've decided to leave the Bay Area. Uh, Actually have really been contemplating um, life in a general sense. But as regards to how we how we discuss things here, really thinking about how the bicycle has fitting fit into the, the community that I built here, the community that I'm going to be connecting with along my journey back to the northeast uh, the community that I'm going to be embedding back into uh, once I'm out there. Uh, and it's it really drives home this idea that, I, that I've spoken to before that is very real in my life of the bicycle as this vehicle for connection.
0: So if you think about it, I mean, you're doing a cross-country journey and obviously you've spent time and grew up on the East Coast. But as you approach that journey, how is the bike kind of making connections for you differently than it might have a decade ago?
1: Well, so a decade ago, I, I don't, I didn't have the, I didn't have the, um, the depth of relationships that I have now around the bike. So I had a few people that I rode with and so on. Um, if we go, let's see a decade ago, I was 28. So I was you know, pretty focused on racing. Um, but in mountain biking in particular, that's a, a pretty solitary endeavor, especially when you're living out of the back of your Honda Element and driving around the country, sleeping in national parks and truck stops. But at this stage, I look, you know, as I reflect on you know, my time here, I, I had a get together the other day with, uh, you know, just showed up in a park with some speakers and tea and a, and a blanket and said, whoever wants to show up, show up. And about half of the people who showed up were people that I knew through bike. So these are, you know, people that I, I was connected to as, a, as an entrepreneur who are also in the bike space. These are people who um, uh, I've met through riding, people who bought you know, some of our early bikes or their friends. Uh, I met a few riders that I hadn't met before actually that, that ride our bikes uh, and that was really special. Uh, and then you, I was, you know, I was part of a, a burning van camp that was, you know, the, the bicycle repair camp. And so those people as well. And so there's this this really strong bicycle theme that knits together this patchwork of people in my life.
0: Yeah, I, I always find it interesting in my personal connections as well, how different the people are that ride a bike, you know, from a the spectrum of sex, race, whatever. it's you, It self-selects around this activity of the bike and around nothing else. Whereas I don't know of a lot of other things in life that really do it in such a great way.
1: But it's this element of, um, I mean, certainly I, I got my start in a much more competitive way sort of paradigm. And it's it's probably no coincidence that I didn't have the deep relationships when I was in that competitive mindset that I have now. Whereas my mindset is is very much one of let's go have an adventure together. Yeah, I think that's really that's poignant
0: because I know when you're training, and this is what always sort of turned me off to being super competitive, besides the fact that I'm probably physically not gifted enough to be super competitive, but let's leave that aside for now. But what I found was when I was training, whether it was by heart rate, you know, before power meters came out, if you were really on a structured training plan, it was really difficult to ride with other people because chances are they weren't going to be putting out the same power you were, or weren't on the same program that day. So if you really wanted to stick to the program, it was generally, you know, maybe you had one group ride a week, but otherwise you better be out there on your own. And now my Mm. attitude is completely different to that. You know, if, if I hook up with someone who's interesting to talk to, I'm very happy to modify my pace and, and, you know, do whatever that day.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I just mentioned kind of the Bay area too. Uh, As I'm migrating across the country, there are, you know, I have stops that are a day apart where, you know, I'm staying in Park City with, uh, you know, somebody I know through, I've actually never met in person, but who purchased one of our bikes and invited me to stay with him and his wife for a couple of days. Uh, So that'll be great. Um, Colorado will be in the, the front range, huge cycling community out there that I've been tied into just through going out there to visit and to, well, early on promote thesis and things like this. Bentonville, Arkansas, a friend from college, again, known through the bike team, uh, and have several friends from the, the Northeastern University bike team that are in the Bentonville area, uh, and then a, maybe another stop between there in upstate New York, where I'm meeting people who, again, I, I met through the bicycle before going on to Boston, uh, and, you know, staying with my, my sister, my brother-in-law, my niece, and my nephews, uh, and my brother-in-law has, not that we weren't very close beforehand, but also, you know, rides one of our bikes and is somebody who I, I connect with in that way too. Uh, so really, just a lovely, lovely kind of uh, coming together of a lot of work that I've done in the space. Yeah, what a
0: great way to kind of work your way across the country, just to kind of touch all those different areas and different people that you've connected with through cycling. I know that's one of our shared goal with the Ridership Forum is just to sort of make these connections really possible.
1: Yeah, and. In fact, now you know to, to tie together the two topics we dove into, uh, dived into so far. You know, using like the ridership to start coordinating rides. So you know, if you're in your local region, if uh, you have a lot of people, places like the Bay Area, for example, you want to meet people. This is a place to go out and coordinate rides. But then also in some of the other regions, start inviting your friends, start bringing people together in a way that. Um, creates a critical mass so that now you know you can coordinate for those adventures now that we're all vaccinated, we're getting vaccinated and it's safe to do so. Um, I also love the idea of people in the forum doing exactly what I'm doing, which is traveling across the country and linking up with, with other community members along the way and having this, this trust that is um, built through um, this shared love of cycling and the fact that you know both parties have self-selected into an intentional community. Yeah, exactly. I had an experience a couple of weeks back with
0: Tom Boss, who's a uh, he's in the Marin County Bike Coalition, and put out there that he's doing a pre ride for the start of their virtual series of events, so culminating in the Dirt Fondo. And he just put an open call out there in the San Francisco Regional Forum for anybody who wanted to come out and do uh, the Bellinas Ridge pre ride, kind of a recon ride. And it was fun. Mm-hmm. And myself and another forum member, Patricia came out and we, we went out and knocked out the route and made some modifications and I think gave Tom some good feedback as to what the ultimate routes should be for that ride
1: great well and, and for anyone listening from New England I'll be out there uh, in the Northeast uh, generally for for the summer and so definitely expect to see some postings for group rides and other meetups and so on um, you know over the course of the next several months once I get settled in. Nice. I'm also keen to
0: get your take on the Bentonville gravel scene. As you know, I've been out there once and um, been out on some of the roads on the Big Sugar race Mm -hmm. course. So I'd be curious to get your perspective on it as well when you get out there.
1: Well, unfortunately, this time I had to ship my bicycle back to Boston. So I've got trail runners with me. Um, My Prius is up to the ceiling. The front, you know, the passenger seat is filled up. I can just barely see um, you know, my rear view mirror on the, the passenger side. So really kind of maxed out there, but, um, I, I will get some sense and I'll definitely be back out that way. Uh, but there's, there's, um, actually my friends are connected, uh, to some of the folks who are needing some of the trail building and advocacy efforts out there. So maybe, uh, I find someone to link you up with for the pod.
0: Yeah. Well, if you can swing it, I would say, Maybe rent a mountain bike because the, <laughs> the trails there are supposed to be really world-class, what they've cut in, and the amount of trail work is unprecedented. So it's a sh- it would be a shame for you not to get out there and try some of those trails out.
1: All right. I got some shoes and pedals buried deeply inside the vehicle that I could probably pull out for that.
0: <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I did want to highlight something that came across my desk this week, and it's from a guest from back in 2019, Juan de la Roca. He was a guest on the podcast talking about his vision for gravel as a sort of travel destination and Mm -hmm. his dream of highlighting his town of Trinidad, Colorado, as a gravel cycling destination. And he just sent me this passport sized gravel guide incredibly well executed, a whole bunch of roots in here, combined with a bunch of history in the region, and just a really clever way to present Mm -hmm. the region. And I thought, I was just super proud of him. I mean, I don't know him well, we talk via email every couple months and have had him on the pod, obviously. But I was just really proud of the, the culmination of all the work he's put in. And the Astute Listener may have caught that a few weeks back I mentioned Lifetime is producing an event called the Rad, the Rad Dirt, I believe, in Trinidad this year. And it's a running and gravel cycling festival.
1: Oh, that's, that's pretty great. And it remind me, Trinidad is in the, the, the southern part of the Rockies?
0: Yeah, the way southern corner of the state down by New Mexico. So quite a bit south from your, what it sounds like your route's going to be through
1: Colorado. Yeah, I'll be driving through Steamboat Springs, doing some back roads on my way to Denver. Okay,
0: nice, Yeah, nice, nice. So I will put a link to where you can get your hands on one of these gravel guides. It sounds like Trinidad and the it's Las Animas County in Colorado is really kind of rearing its head up as one of those new destinations that we should all have. I'm super attracted to it just because it looks very remote and untouched. He says you can get out of town. It's a cool old Western town. You can get out of town and just get on these huge, you know, the expanses of gravel roads.
1: Look forward to being back out this way in uh, in a different part of the year, maybe next year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then also on the personal front, you know, I've been riding is shockingly 700 by 32s lately. So road tires, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been it's been fun because you know, as the listener knows, like I'm so big on six fifty by forty seven being the do all tires, and I, you know, I still stand by that because you don't have to think about it a lot. It gets you they're fast enough on the road. You don't have to think about it. You've got a lot of suspension built into these tires. But there was something nice about going a little smaller, and for me, as I've said before. I kind of think about where I'm going differently depending on what my bike setup is that particular week and being fortunate enough to have two sets of wheels. You know, I've been thinking about, Oh, you know, traveling further away from Mill Valley to begin my rides. And because I was on 32s, I was also thinking, well, I don't want to do any extreme descending on these tires either. So how do I configure a route that's maybe different than I would ride normally?
1: find that the trick there is oftentimes to do all your climbing on the dirt and then find a road for the way down yeah Yeah, kind of you know works really well when you're when you're doing exploring with the
0: uh the narrower tires that's essentially what i did i rode up to east peak and then down on the road over to stinson beach and actually ended up riding all the way home on the road just because it was quite a hot day and i was feeling gassed yeah but it's 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 cool to again always like look at the different personalities you can have for your bike and it 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 continually keeps my personal riding fresh by exploring different tire combinations.
1: So what else do you have going on with your bicycle these days?
0: You know, I'm, I mentioned I'm upgrading to the Pro version of the Redshift stem, so I'm still excited about that. I've got some I've got some pretty nifty new stuff coming that I can't talk about yet that I'm going to be trying, but um really excited again just to explore a different avenue of the sport very cool yeah and then on uh on clothing i've also just been been trying a bunch of different clothing strategies out you know i've always been a a lycra kit kind of guy just found like overall it's kind of the most efficient and i I really got my layering dialed on that setup so it's just usually the easiest way for me to get out the door
1: remind me how, how old are you now
0: Randall, come on!
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I want to know: Are you officially a mammal? <laughs>
0: I'm. I'm 50 years old.
1: Oh, I think that makes you a, uh, a middle-aged man in micro. <laughs> and then there you go.
0: <laughs> I will embrace that. But I've got you know the the casual cycling short has come a long way. I mean, obviously it introduced it sort of started on the the mountain bike side of the house with kind of baggy, durable stuff. But I've been I've been actually waiting and and talking for it seems like a couple years about gravel getting its own style and Mm -hmm. the garments kind of fitting in a way that meets the combination of road and mountain off-road and road that we do on gravel bikes
1: i thought about this, and I've, I've ridden Maggie's before. I always go back to Lycra just because I like how it moves with my body. And if, if I'm going for a ride, I'm generally going for a longer or harder ride. Maybe not these days. I haven't been riding much at all. Um, but when I'm back on the bike, uh, have you ridden the, – the style that I like is, well, one, I like how the aesthetically uh, the trend has been more towards uh, you know simpler design, uh, more muted colors, not a bunch of loud branding, and so on. That was really obnoxious, but something that's really kind of classy and stylish. Yeah. But then things like um, you know, lycra cargo shorts, where you have a pocket built into the thigh that you can uh, put some things in, and uh, you know, maybe other storage solutions uh, in the jerseys. Maybe things don't fit as thickly, or or have more features, or or not as you know, hyper lightweight.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean going back to what you started with, I I am. I'm keen on this evolution. I think for, for me, the overshort needs to be very lightweight, not constricting because I do enjoy that comfort level of, of the Lycra. And I do find myself, as you sort of mentioned for, this is more of a shorter ride kind of look for me. Having mm-hmm. the extra pockets is interesting. Being able to kind of roll into an app situation in a little bit more non-lycra fashion is also appealing. I had I had Tim Clark a couple of years on ago from Kitsbo and I just got a pair of Kitsbo shorts that are handmade in their new facility in North Carolina. And first mm. off, huge hats off to those guys for making that investment in North Carolina. They've really invigorated the local economy there and proving that You know the sort of the just-in-time inventory model of clothing production can be sustainable there's definitely a premium on these shorts but i have to say the the design and execution on these shorts was absolutely exceptional Mm. there's some some little details including kind of the pocket going back onto your hip rather than in front onto your thigh that i was just really
1: impressed with yeah this this Dives into a topic that is dear to my heart. I actually talked to Russ over at Le- Pathless Pedaled about this at length uh, at one point, which is like reshoring, and you know what? What are the things that could be produced here? And kind of the order of operations and the challenges associated with bringing things domestic, or at least having things produced closer to where they're used. In a general sense, it's not about necessarily like you know pro America and stuff from from Asia or elsewhere is bad, but more like having it be more tied to the communities that are that are used that are uh, local. The communities producing it are also the communities using it.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting conversation you had on Pathless Puddled, and I encourage everybody to listen to it because there's a lot that goes into it. Obviously, if you're manufacturing offshore, you've got shipping and huge time delays potentially in the the supply chain. And if you can step back, sometimes when you look at the business and the costs and the timing, sometimes bringing it back does make sense. And, And that's super exciting when we see companies doing that.
1: Yeah, it's it's a topic that I'm also kind of engaged in on an advisory basis with um, stuff outside of the bike industry too. So it's interesting to see. Uh, does Kitsbo own their own production? They do. Yep. They do. So yeah. that's different. Like, I uh, do you know of anyone else who's doing their own garment production domestically who actually owns it? Because I know some examples of companies that are using domestic vendors, which is which is also great.
0: Yeah, I don't know for certain. There's certainly some, like Jersey and Lycra companies that that may own their own facilities but i know of a you know dozens that outsource it to local seamstresses and seamsters
1: yeah i think or not is using a domestic manufacturer um and obviously their stuff is really nice and popular here in the bay area i can think of i think allele is domestic as well yep
0: that's the one yeah both of those guys were the ones i was thinking of as well yeah. yeah the other ones i've been trying have been from gore and super lightweight nice from a kind of weight perspective, they're really hitting the mark for me. They've Mm -hmm. also got some great ones for inclement weather. As you can imagine with a history as Gore has, they've got some incredible fabrics that they're bringing to bear. I'm fortunate that I haven't had to ride in any inclement weather lately, but this is what I'm trying to piece together. Like I'm, I'm with you that most likely if I'm going out for a hundred mile ride, it's going to be a straight Lycra setup. But if there's, if it's cold, if it's going to be foggy, particularly here where we ride in the Bay Area, like all of a sudden, this is a new nuance to my layering technique that mm-hmm. I can that I can throw in the mix, which I'm excited well, about.
1: Well, I'm being able to hang out in your kit, and like not only have it be just like I'm only going out to bike, uh, and then additionally having it be more accessible in the sense that a lot of people aren't comfortable um, you know, wearing a tight Lycra kit, especially when they're first getting into the sport. And so making it so that having more standard looking clothing is acceptable. You're still legitimate on the bicycle or yeah. seen as such, Yep, uh, I think is, is definitely a good thing as well.
0: Yeah. And additionally, like you think about the bike packing experience, you know, even if you're going on a short one, just kind of combining a day of riding with a day of enjoying whatever community you're rolling through, it just yep. makes it kind of a more approachable combination.
1: That's where getting like a, a two piece short comes in where you have the liner with the the pad built in the chamois built in. And then when you get to your destination, you pull that out and you still have your regular shorts, you go jump in a lake or whatever. Uh,
0: yeah. That's what I got to play around with. I mean, I actually have some friends who are super down with the, the casual short look and they're not running chamois underneath. And I haven't tried that yet to see if, there's a comfort level. I mean, obviously like these particular shorts, they're gusseted in a way, unlike a traditional street short that you're buying where the gussets right under your undercarriage, these cycling mm-hmm. shorts are gusseting in a way that, you know, you can sit on them comfortably. I'm just not sure that I'm,
1: I'm ready for the padless ride. Yeah. I think, uh, anything over an hour, hour and a half, I'm definitely going to want to chamois moving with my skin. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. I might have to get some liner shorts that are
0: not bibs because it is getting hot these days out here, and I'm finding like between an overshort
1: and a bib, it's just uh, it's a little bit overkill. It's getting hot, and the days are getting long. It is prime riding season in the Bay and throughout the entire northern region of the country. Which yeah, it's great. Exactly, exactly. All right, my friend. Well, I wish you
0: safe travels. We can't wait to hear from you as you. Pickpock your way across the United States and uh, be safe. We'll talk to you in a few weeks.
1: Thank you, friend. All right. Talk soon.
0: Cheers. So that's it for another edition of In the Dirt from the Gravel Ride podcast. Thank you for spending part of your week with us this week. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, please visit www.buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. And if you have any feedback, feel free to join us in the Ridership Forum. Just visit www.theridership.com. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.